Our scripture lesson today is continuing in the Gospel of Mark. We're still in its early uh, chapters, so chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, on this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight and give you glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've shared with you before, I believe, that the words with which a writer begins a novel, a short story, or a poem are crucial. Call me Ishmael. He was an old man who fished alone in a skiff in the Gulf Stream. And he had gone 84 days now without taking a fish. All happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. I had a farm in Africa. It was a queer, sultry summer. The summer they electrocuted the Rosenbergs. And I didn't know what I was doing in New York. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. When the gospel writer Mark sits down to compose his story of Jesus Christ, his completed work, which is known to us as the gospel according to Mark, represents the first appearance known to history of a new literary form called a gospel. As we're spending the better part of 2024 on the gospel of Mark, I want to be clear at the outset that there are two things going on when we read Mark or hear Mark read in worship. One is that we are reading what Mark chooses to share about Jesus Christ. From all that he knows, from all that he has heard, from all that he's received in the 30 years between the death and resurrection of Christ, and the time Mark starts writing. The second is that we are also reading comments that Mark himself makes in his own voice. So we are reading the words of Jesus Mark chooses to highlight, and we are reading the words of Mark himself. Both of these are at play when we come to the first words that Jesus speaks. The first words that Mark, in his portrait of Jesus, chooses to share with us. The first words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Mark are, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news. A few notes. The two verbs, is fulfilled and has come near, are in the perfect tense. 
This means that the action has begun in the past and it is continuing here and now in the present. Is fulfilled, has come near. What the action is describing that is happening is that Christ is the kingdom of God. The period or the place in which God reigns as undisputed king over all people and all creation, the reign of God, the present, the reign of God which is present and continuing in Christ who has now come. Because these verbs are in perfect tense, this reveals that the kingdom which Jesus proclaims has begun before his ministry and may be culminating in his life, death, and resurrection. In all that he says and and does, in all that he causes to happen and all that happens to him. And it is to that kingdom, to that reign, That Jesus calls people to turn, which is the meaning of repent, place their trust, which is the meaning of believe, and accept and experience as good news, which, as Olivia said, is the meaning of the word gospel. Repent, believe, good news. Now, this introduction that Mark chooses to give us is his presentation and depiction of Jesus Christ, of what is essential to who Christ is. Christ is reliable, universal, and present, sometimes subtly, sometimes directly, in all places, in all times in history, in all circumstances of our personal and family lives. That is what is essential, according to Mark. Now, earlier this, this week, a friend with whom I correspond called my attention to an article by Carl Truman, a professor of biblical and religious studies at Grove City College in Pennsylvania. Truman makes a beautiful case for the essential truths of the Christian faith being above the change and continuity of the world as we experience it. He speaks of the great truths of the Christian faith that, quote, take no account of the vicissitudes of this age. God, Trinity, fall, incarnation, redemption, and grace, Truman says, These are truths that feed the mind and the soul regardless of which side wins or loses an election. All these speak of the eternal weight of glory, he writes, and thereby they relativize the slings and arrows of this world as being so many light, momentary Afflictions. Now, this is a beautiful statement about Christian faith transcending the vicissitudes of our age, the slings and arrows of the world that we face, elections won and elections lost. 
Sometimes I long for such a faith. I long for a faith that just exists up here and is going to be there and strong no matter what is going on down here. That is a beautiful and an appealing faith and I long for it sometimes, but I cannot quite go there. At least when I'm standing before Mark's portrait and it seems to call out and speak to me. Listen to how Mark chooses to introduce the first words that Jesus speaks. Now, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee. After John was arrested. It is a jarring way to start a gospel. To introduce the first words of the protagonist, the main character, after John was arrested. Now Mark quickly leaves this jarring phrase and he goes on to present Jesus as beginning his public ministry of preaching and teaching and healing. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Like Carl Truman's article, Mark focuses on what is essential about Jesus. Reign, repentance, belief. But unlike Truman, Mark does not let us ignore the fact of John's arrest. He mentions it right before he introduces us to Jesus. You see, I think Mark is setting Jesus' opening words which are so universal and so applicable to everyone in all time and place. I think Mark is setting these words in the particular circumstances of John's arrest because Mark wants to emphasize that it is exactly in such circumstances that Jesus is to be embraced and followed. By introducing Jesus' first words, With a matter-of-fact announcement about the arrest of John the Baptist, Mark is choosing to place Jesus Christ squarely in the world while not viewing the world as ultimate. But neither does does Mark view the slings and arrows of this world as simply light, momentary afflictions. Wars are not just rumors. They happen. Elections have consequences. In fact, five chapters later, in one of the longest narratives in Mark's gospel, Mark will give us as readers the full account of the death of John the Baptist to which which John's arrest led. Mark makes it clear that John's death is a political act carried out by a Roman ruler, Herod. It's an act of personal and political vengeance as John has exposed Herod's personal corruption and family dysfunction. And it is an execution so violent that it has given rise to a colloquialism in our culture, his head on a silver platter. Mark places the action of God in and through Jesus Christ a bit closer 
to life on earth than the more transcendent and understandably appealing view of Professor Truman. Now, it occurs to me that in sharing the fact and details of John's death, only after we are more than a third the way through our reading of the gospel, Mark may be preparing us for the toughest and most demanding times that come with following Christ, not out of this world, but in this world. It may be that through his writing, Mark is letting us learn of the harsh news of John's death only when we are ready to hear it, to receive it, to absorb it, to act on it constructively. In a great act of sensitivity to us as readers and as followers of Christ, Mark may be allowing us to come in contact with certain information only as we are ready for it. Only as we are ready to receive it. I have shared with you many times that I was deeply impacted in my life and in my faith by the death of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in in my home city when I was 13 years old. Because even at that age, I followed politics and public events as well as sports. The events events surrounding the sanitation strike that brought Dr. King to the city were part of my morning fair. The events have never left me. A year ago, I learned something about Dr. King's death that made it even more real. I knew, of course, that his death had occurred when he had come to Memphis in support of striking sanitation workers. I had learned at some point along the way that the strike had begun when two sanitation workers had been killed on the job. I had learned, again, at some point, that they'd been killed because they had crawled into the back of their sanitation truck during a thunderstorm to avoid being struck by lightning. And I learned a few years ago that the reason they had taken refuge in their truck is that they were not allowed to take refuge under the carports in a white neighborhood. But in 2022, 54 years after that event in my home city, 54 years, I read an account that named the men's names, Echo Cole and Robert Walker. And this account named the street on which they were working when they had been killed, the corner of Colonial and Vern Roads. Colonial and Vern. When I read those names, a chill went up my spine. 
I recognized them as being in the neighborhood I grew up in as a child. I walked to school every day from 1464 Mount Moriah Road past Vern Street and turned right on Sea Isle. Had I turned left on Vern and walked two blocks, I would have been at the site of their deaths. It took 54 years to learn that Nicole Cole and Robert Walker had lost their lives on the same streets on which I had run on which I had learned to ride my bike. They may have collected my family's garbage, perhaps even the day they were killed. They, have, they may have been caught in earlier thunderstorms and not been allowed to take refuge under our carport. They may have been no different than the sanitation workers in Alexandria who come by our house every Wednesday morning and with whom I often speak and banter as they work quickly and efficiently and with strength and dexterity to take away the abundance of trash that we produce between the mere two of us. I was startled by this discovery. I was embarrassed by it. I was ashamed that I didn't know this. I realized that in all the accounts I had read of the sanitation strike, in the conversations with my family, in the news reports, in the days and weeks following its occurrence, in all of the history books I had read, it had never been mentioned to me that the men had been killed less than a mile from my house. I realize that this is perhaps the way many of us have been shielded from some of the less seemly details of race in our country. We're simply left in the dark, sometimes through no fault of our own, sometimes through the closing off of information to us, and sometimes through our own willful ignorance. But learning this even 54 years after the fact somehow, somehow, somehow helps me to take it more seriously. Maybe, just maybe, I wasn't ready at the time as a child, as a teenager, to receive the information. Maybe, just maybe, that is why Mark doesn't tell us of the circumstances of the grisly death of John the Baptist until he surmises that we can receive it and absorb it in some way that it can become constructive. Now, as sensitive as Mark is, is unfolding information before us, Mark remains clear about his purpose and Jesus' purpose as well. The time is fulfilled, Jesus says, and in my very being with you, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, turn, listen, see, believe in the good news, trust the good news, entrust yourself to it, taste it, touch it, smell it, partake of it at the table, and live it. 
You may not be ready to receive all that's involved with it right now, but stick with me for the duration and you will come to know the good news and you'll come to know me ever more closely. What you come to know won't always be pretty, Jesus says. In fact, some of it will be quite frightful. It will bring you inconvenience. It will require you to sacrifice. Sometimes you will suffer for it. You may lose friends over it, family members, perhaps for a few of you, even your life. But it will be life-giving. And it will be new, as new is always new. Above all, though, it may not seem like it at first, and it won't be, and it always seem, and it won't always seem like it along the way. It will be news that is not only new, but is also good. Good news. That's what I'm about, says Jesus. That's what I'm about about how do I love thee let me count the ways